0: Hello and welcome to Talking Additive episode 14.
1: But I think the role that Additive plays here is that it's, for us, it's an exciting growth engine. It's something that we believe in, not just because it's exciting new technology, but because it provides value to customers where we can do more than we previously could. So we can help them optimize their supply chains, or we can help them cut down on waste, or we can help them be more sustainable. And these are things that are all important to us as a company.
0: That was Steve Serpy, a market manager at Arkema, a global chemical company known for its high-performance materials. Steve's role is to help bridge between Arkema's scientists and their customers to help customers within fields as wide-ranging as automotive to sports to electronics each identify the right performance materials suited to their applications. I talked with Steve over the summer about high-performance polymers and about how Arkema views the new roles for FFF within manufacturing processes. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. I'm Matt Griffin, and this is Talking Additive, a 3D printing podcast made possible by Ultimaker. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within manufacturing and on the factory floor, and what will be possible in the future? Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays, every two weeks. Since 2011, Ultimaker has built an open and easy-to-use solution of 3D printers, software, materials, and support ecosystem that enables professional designers, engineers, and manufacturers to innovate every day its global team of more than 400 employees works together to accelerate the world's transition to digital distribution and local manufacturing. Steve, thank you very much for joining me for talking out of today. Really excited to talk to you about Arkema and uh, the things that are possible with these materials.
1: Thank you, thank you, Matt. It's great to be here with you. My name is Steve Serpe and I'm a market manager at Arkema. Arkema is a big specialty chemicals manufacturer and my role is in the technical polymers business unit. My responsibility is for our powders and 3D printing businesses in North America. We're a fairly large company. Globally speaking, we're organized in three distinct platforms. Mm-hmm. So one of which is called Advanced Materials. So that's where Additive and my business unit fit in. Then separately from that, there's a coding solutions group. And then there's adhesive solutions, which mm-hmm. uh, is separate, but I could envision some areas where they, they might have solutions for 3D printing processes in the future as well. Specifically for Additive, we actually have a, a platform that's called 3D Printing Solutions by Arkema. So I technically belong to to both the business unit and this platform. And the platform was important because we've got these resins that we sell for FFF, we've got powders in, in SLS and MJF, and then we have another group within Arkema that's completely separate that supplies monomers and oligomers for photo cure technologies. So across Arkema, we had lots of people involved in additive, mm. but not always working together. Right. So it was important to build this cross-BU platform, which allows us to come together, share ideas, address the industry needs as one big team rather than separate siloed business units. It makes it simpler and easier to understand who we are, what we have to offer, And then eases the the process of going through the motions in okay, I have a project and I'm wondering if one of your materials makes sense for me. We can better respond to that question.
0: What's the interaction between the groups like? Do you spend time learning about these other processes? It sounds like you've definitely gotten very involved with powders.
1: We could always do more. We're always trying to educate each other on what we have to offer because the customers are are really diverse and somebody comes to us and has interest in, say, powders or or photo cure, but then they can learn about all the different materials and processes and, and identify that, okay, for their application, maybe what they thought they wanted doesn't make the most sense. So we can pass leads back and forth, we can make introductions. A lot of times we are actually dealing with the same customers, but maybe it's different contacts within that customer. So it it really allows us to share ideas and address the needs of our customers most effectively.
0: Where is Arkema based?
1: Arkham is a French-based company. So our our headquarters is in a town called Cologne, which is just outside of Paris. Our United States headquarters is outside of Philadelphia in King of Prussia, PA. That's where I sit. uh, And it's actually where the Center of Excellence for Extrusion Printing, or FFF, is housed.
0: And there's a lot of industry in that area, in particular uh, polymer science, right?
1: Yeah, it's really a rich area for chemicals, for pharmaceuticals, a lot of good schools in the area, but a lot of knowledge around here. So my background is in traditional chemical engineering, and my career has taken me through some really interesting technologies. I worked for a number of years in the polyurethane foam world, and then when I left there, I joined Arkema and got involved with, with additive and, and some other cool things.
0: And what were some of the industries that you were talking to? Polyurethane foam, that seems to touch almost everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a lot like 3D printing where what you're actually selling gets used in all different things. So it's really hard to define a market. I was exposed to medical devices, a lot of automotive parts, some what I'll call general industrial housing uh, and and home goods. It's really fascinating to see all, all the different places where something as simple as Polyurethane foam touches your life. You don't think about it, but it, it's everywhere. When I was with that company, I, I worked in what was called their, their technical products business. Uh, and I had a number of different roles. I worked for a little while in R&D, uh, a little while in business development, a little while in product line management. So the applications that the customers would utilize the foams in really spanned a diverse set of industries.
0: How did your background connect to the landscape that you're now serving?
1: I personally don't claim to be an expert in in printing or even in specifically developing the products. My teams provide really all the horsepower there. We've got incredibly smart women and men that are dedicating to advancing the technology. The link that I personally provide and and where my background, I think, comes in handy is, is providing that link between the scientists and our customers. Our business development team, they're out there talking with all kinds of companies, right? From automotive to sports, electronics, you name it. And, and then where I come in is to help teach these folks about 3D printing, advise on which technology makes the most sense for them, which materials they should be using for their applications. And then with the knowledge that we get from the market, I can go back to the scientists and engineers and help guide their development roadmap to ensure that what we bring to the market matches up to customers needs in my business unit and and my responsibility i'm also overseeing our powders applications and and developments and the center of excellence for powders is actually in uh, the normandy region of france that's one of our main research centers for polyamides uh, and it makes sense because our main offering in, in sls and uh, Powderbed Fusion is polyamid 11 and 12. A lot of that work is done there from a, a research and development perspective, but arkema is a very global company and, and we manage our, our markets accordingly.
0: In conversations, what are some of the features of additive that have really come up a lot as making a big difference for the customers?
1: It it really depends on where they are in their adoption. Maybe they've got a little bit of exposure and they've used a desktop FFF machine for some prototypes or design validation, or maybe they're much more mature and advanced in this space and they're looking at really overhauling their supply chain to have purely distributed manufacturing. There's customers all along that spectrum. Getting there and having those discussions is what's able to to help me align their needs with what we have to offer, whether it's making connections or developing new materials or just helping advise on writing specifications.
0: What is Arkema's current and historical role in materials development?
1: Arkema's got tons of different materials. A lot of what we'll talk about today is is our polymers, uh, but there's other like industrial specialty materials as well. Our history in in polymers is is long and deep. Polyamid 11, which is one of our flagship materials under the the Realsan brand, is is more than 70 years old now, mm. and then. Our history in, in 3D printing, is it's actually a great story because Dr. Joe Beeman, who was the University of Texas professor who worked with Carl Deckard, who, who unfortunately just, just recently passed away, yeah. they invented SLS in the 1980s, and Dr. Beeman recently shared that one of the first materials that he ever sintered was actually polyamide 11. It was a powder coating grade, which his father knew about from some separate line of work that he was involved in. And I recently had the the chance to ask him about this and, and confirm if that rumor was true. And, and indeed, it is true. So we can say without a doubt that Arkham's materials, Polyamid 11, has been used in additive for more than 30 years now. Yeah, that's amazing. It's awesome. There's another similar story on on the photocure side with SLA and and Chuck Hull, another pioneer of of this industry, working with materials that Sartomer was producing back in the 1980s. So it's, it's really great history.
0: It sounds like Arkham has been there from the very beginning. The materials that ended up being pulled into the beginning of additive manufacturing; those were used in other, like t- tool applications before, used, like powder coating.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, polyamide eleven, the the resin that is used in in SLS now and and MJF, is is also still to this day used extensively in powder coating. And then the resin itself, we sell the bulk of what we sell is is granule form for folks that are doing injected molding or extrusion or or any other melt processing of plastics.
0: What is Akuma's uh, relationship with the various materials available currently? Roughly how many units are out there for R&D or production or whatever you'd like to share?
1: We've got a big global manufacturing footprint, so we strive to, as much as possible, make our materials close to our end users. That's not all for additive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are the materials that we sell for lots of different processes, and and additive is still a small chunk of that, but growing. I think what's interesting here with additive is that as a big chemical company, we don't sell directly to most end users. For each of the different sectors, Mm -hmm. whether it's FFF, or SLA or SLS, there's a different market structure that allows us to stick to what we're good at, which is designing, building, and and producing chemicals, resins, mm-hmm. and then we utilize channel partners to provide additional value when it makes sense. For example, somebody that's going to extrude and sell filament in 500 gram reels. That's, that's not something that we would excel at. Right. So we, we utilize uh, partners to do that. But I think the role that additive plays here is that it's, for us, it's an exciting growth engine. So while it's still relatively small volume for us, it's something that we've invested in heavily. It's something that we believe in, not just because it's exciting new technology, but because it provides value to customers where we can do more than we previously could. So we can help them optimize their supply chains or we can help them cut down on waste or we can help them be more sustainable. And these are things that are all important to us as a company. So obviously at the end of the day, a company is, is in business to, to make money and sell material 3D printing helps us do that, but it's not all that's in it for us. It's, this is an area that's really innovative and fast-paced, and, and we're really excited to be a part of it.
0: Now, you you mentioned how materials from Arkema were used in the you know, very early stages of additive manufacturing. But talk to me a little bit about how long the company has specifically catered to additive.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So while well, those lab experiments in, in the 1980s with the technologies being developed, they were somewhat serendipitous. I would say our involvement really got serious by probably the mid-1990s for SLS specifically. And I think the timeline is, is probably similar for my colleagues working on the photocure technologies. But then for FFF, it's really just been the past six years. It's, this is the youngest of the technologies and I would say the, the last to get our attention and for us to really invest in.
0: What led to adding FFF extrusion-based as a focus?
1: What led to it was really our customers, so existing customers that we sell resins to for injection molding or or extrusion, coming to us saying they want to be able to 3D print with a Kynar PVDF or with a PBax elastomer. So really, it was market pull from existing customers that, that we know and that we work with that were looking to invest in this technology and took a look at the material offerings that were out there and and decided they, they needed more, they wanted more. So that's really what got our attention, like I said, about five, six years ago, and shifted our focus to really pay more attention to this area. I think it's tremendous for very quick production of a small number of parts. I think one of the best case studies here is for replacement of of broken parts, so spare parts business, you can just do so well with this technology. And what I found is that any customer that we're talking to, if they're doing any type of 3D printing, they've probably done FFF first. So it's The most accessible. It's the easiest to understand. It's, I would say, the the easiest to work with, especially with a desktop Ultimaker type machine. It's as plug and play as you could get. Even though it's something that we didn't see the value in for many years, we've realized that there's a lot that can be done with this technology and we've got a lot to offer with our materials to help customers solve challenges.
0: Looking at the company as a whole and all the various technologies, Can you share with listeners some of the material brand names and what kinds of uses people tend to associate with them as a kind of a a point to orient them?
1: As far as the materials that we have to offer in filament form, I'll start with Kepstan, which is P-E-K-K. So that's a high temperature, high stiffness, ultra polymer. It's, It's used to actually replace metal. It's used a lot in aerospace and defense applications. We have our PVDF, which is a fluoropolymer. It's a very highly processable fluoropolymer. That's really well known for its chemical resistance and UV resistance. So it can be used outside for decades, no problem. It can be splashed with sulfuric acid and will be just fine. We've got PBACS, which is an elastomer. So TPE, we call it. It's, a, it's actually a world-renowned elastomer. It's it's used in all the best athletic shoes. It's used in some medical applications for really unique properties of returning the energy that's, uh, that's placed upon it. And then uh, we're in the, the, I'd say, the final stages of development for a new material, uh, which is Plexiglass 3D or, or alto Glass, depending on which which region you're in uh, dictates which brand name is used. But it's Plexiglass. I'm sure your listeners know it. It's really interesting for FFF because it's a super high clarity and, and high light transmission. It's really the first of its kind for transparency in FFF, where you can make the internal layer lines of a solid part just completely disappear. It is PMMA. I'd say it's a specialty formulated PMMA. So uh, with all these other materials, with Kyanar, with PVAX, it's not like you can just take uh, an existing off the shelf grade and, and make it work in your printer. It's been highly tuned for these processes, but it's really important to us as we're developing materials to balance the properties that a customer would come to expect from this material if they've used it in another form, to really balance that with printability, to make sure that it, you can get a good part off of your printer, and it's not always so easy.
0: You had mentioned that Arkema has been involved with FFF materials for the past like six years or so. What is the the competence center there, and what are the some of the resources that exist within Arkema to develop and explore FFF solutions?
1: What we did in, in setting up this center of excellence for extrusion printing was we've, we've got, I would say, the, the main researcher who, who looks after the lab and the team, works very closely with the business and with manufacturing on overall strategy. We've got a number of, of researchers and technicians that are in the lab every day doing prints, kind of fine tuning the different developments that we're working on. But then we really take full advantage of all the ancillary processes and equipment and teams within Arkema, so it's not like it's a completely separate vacuum that's offsite. It's it's on site at our U.S. headquarters, where we've got lots of labs focused on different processes and focused on different materials. We'll share resources for, say, environmental conditioning or mechanical property testing or or any host of of different processes that you would expect a chemical company has. So it's hard for me to really pin down and say, I've got X number of people working on this at any given time, because we really utilize uh, lots of different teams and and processes within the company.
0: Now, there are a lot of materials and chemicals that Archimab makes that play, you know, critical roles in, you know, products and industries that are materials that aren't necessarily usually extruded. Mm -hmm. What has the experience been for the, the FFF unit in exploring how to make extrudable versions of some of these materials,
1: this is the challenge. I mean, this is what we do, and and this is what we love. So, in, in extrusion printing, customers will come and tell us that they want to print, for example, or PBACs. and it's a material that they know, they injection mold all the time. But as I said before, if you just take an off-the-shelf grade and try to extrude filament, you could probably make a filament. Uh, maybe it wouldn't look so pretty, but then you throw it on a printer and it's not going to be pretty at all. These types of materials that we focus on, these are semicrystalline engineering grade polymers and semicrystalline materials shrink a little bit when they cool. So a process like this where you're heating up filament, you're melting it, depositing it, then it starts to cool a little bit, but then it heats up again when the next layer gets deposited. It's really challenging for semicrystalline materials. To create a good printing material, we have to find the right balance to make sure that number one, that the part prints well, that it's not gonna have a lot of shrinking, it's not gonna have a lot of warping, but then we also have to make sure that we maintain the great properties of the polymer that led the customer to ask for it in the first place. So this may involve fine tuning the viscosity of the polymer, for example. It might involve using any number of different additives, or lots of other tricks that we have up our sleeves.
0: Arkema is selling resins and is making the base polymer, but specialty polymers, so there's already function built into them. But I'm wondering to what degree solving processability is something that you do in collaboration with a downstream partner who's going to extrude the materials or something that you solve in-house and deliver the solution fully baked and ready to be extruded and turned into the various formats and needs?
1: I would say for the most part, we stay higher upstream. So we we want to design a, a resin that prints well, obviously, but could be fine-tuned if, if you needed to. So if we produce a, a Kynar formulation that that prints well on the machine, but a specific customer said, oh, I want X percent of this specific carbon fiber in it, or I I need some additive to give me electrostatic dissipative properties. We're, We're not a custom compounder. We're not working in small batches. That's not something that we could do well one of our customers that is extruding and selling filament could do that very well. So someone like a Kimia or a 3DX tech, they've really developed a lot of expertise in doing that kind of customization.
0: I've had guests on who have been compounders. I've had guests who are distributors and chemical companies. I think for a lot of folks, even folks who are working in additive and have for a while, if they're not really close to materials, they're still trying to navigate how this all works because a lot of that process is behind the scenes. When you have a spool in front of you, you, you might not recognize that it's been through three individuals to get to you.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a lot that goes into it. It it can be frustrating because it it looks like such a simple thing when you get your hands on it, but there's probably years of of development and and expertise that, that really spent a lot of time focusing on making that just right for you as you load it into your printer.
0: This is Matt Griffin, host of Talking Additive, Ultimaker's 3D printing podcast. This is a critical time for industry to adopt 3D printing, stabilizing and strengthening this field in the new global economy. Let's keep this conversation going, just like the 3D labs, machines, and teams all across the world that have remained open and fully operational, even during these complicated times. Enjoying Talking Additive? We'd appreciate it if you would subscribe and post a review to Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer listening and explore past episodes with guests such as Matthew Forrester at L'Oreal, Captain Brad Baker from the U.S. Naval Academy, Nicholas Udebach from IGIS, and more. Let's return now to Steve Serby from Arkema. Let's take this exploration on into our discussion about the transformation of manufacturing because I'd love to hear some of your specific thoughts about additive manufacturing and FFF in specific. What kind of roles it's starting to have in manufacturing among your customers?
1: Yeah, I, I think the easiest to see out there is really quick turnaround of, of a small number of parts uh, and, and replacement of broken parts. Spare parts business is... is certainly not the sexiest, but if you think about uh, a big manufacturing operation, it's reliant on, on being up and running. So anytime something breaks uh, and the systems go down, that company is wasting time, they're wasting money, it, it can really be devastating. So the ability to have a printer in your shop or, or even on the floor... To be able to very quickly, talking about within hours, certainly within a shift or two, getting a part designed up and printed out and get your machines working again, it has tremendous value. So again, it's not the, the sexiest case study, but it's probably the most valuable in manufacturing.
0: Especially as you start to look into full part life management stuff, there are a lot of opportunities for doing this where it actually makes more sense than any other technology. It's really interesting to see that because it's not a class of technology that has been really considered for those roles until very recently. Now, you had uh, customers coming to you requesting FFF materials because they like materials from using them in other contexts and, and manufacturing processes.
1: Yeah, I think everything starts with prototyping, right? That's the easiest kind of entree into the technology. That's where so many people got their start. And it makes absolutely perfect sense. So if you want to be able to prototype with that same material that you're going to injection mold with, great. We'd love to help with that. But where I think things get really interesting is when somebody comes to us and decides, okay, we developed this, it worked great for our prototypes, but we have this one part within our portfolio that we. We don't make nearly as much as these other parts so if somebody's injection molding a a million parts of something a year it maybe doesn't make sense to print with it but then they've got this one specialty part that they do a a much lower uh, number of parts per year or they have their number one customer came to them and said oh if you could make it a little bit different we would need these in this particular application and that's where i get really excited because then this technology is opening up something that previously you couldn't do. You, you had to tell your customer no, or you had to invest in tooling for a part that's, that's got very limited use and it. it's hard to justify those costs. But when you have access to engineering grade polymers that you're comfortable with, you're familiar with, and the customers that you sell your parts to are familiar with, if you could print those and do a hundred or a thousand of them, to give them that kind of custom piece, exactly what they want, that becomes transformational and, and really powerful.
0: How important are things such as certified materials processes to being appropriate for a specific uh, application in in a specific industry?
1: Is that a a key focus? It is. I'd, I'd say it's not an area where we have tremendous expertise yet. Uh, so certified materials and processes are are obviously going to become more and more important as these printing techniques become more valuable in actual production. So it's, it's something we're watching closely. We, we actually sit on the ASTM Additive Manufacturing Committee where these discussions are happening. It's important for the industry to, to make a full push into reliable manufacturing. To do that, they need to have these agreed upon methods to test and to certify that a part is good, whatever good means to that customer. Then separately from that, you've got certifications like from UL, where they have their their blue card. And I'm starting to see that this is becoming more important. Customers are starting to ask for it. But I think the challenge remains that certifying one specific material on one specific type of machine doesn't scale very well. So I, I don't know what the answers are here, but we as an industry have to find a way to collectively improve on this and make it easier for customers to have the comfort levels that they need to certify that their parts are appropriate for the applications and then have the, the suppliers and, and the other folks within the industry kind of help move that forward.
0: I definitely think we'll be seeing lots of interesting conversations around this uh, in the next uh, couple of years. Uh, some of them stimulated by, I would imagine, some you know, recent COVID context. Yeah,
1: that's accelerated so much.
0: From your perspective, focusing on Arkema and Arkema's customers and end users, where do you think that we are right now in the the trajectory of the additive transformation of manufacturing? And what do you see as being likely to happen in the future?
1: For so many years, 3D printing was almost exclusively used for prototyping. And I think there will continue to be plenty of that because it's it's a great tool for prototyping, great tool for design validation. But what's really exciting is to see the new applications that we get to see in actual production of end-use parts. So engineers and designers, they're starting to see the benefit of using 3D printing for short-run manufacturing, as we talked about. So whether you're looking to avoid the cost of tooling uh, or shorten your lead time or or any other reason, we're seeing more and more of these kind of short-run manufacturing applications take off. And... I think going forward, we'll see more widespread adoption, namely in in customization, but then ultimately for decentralized production, which is really a different conversation that has to happen within companies. I I think there are a few that are are starting to think about this, but I think it's still a little bit of a ways off, but the value there in in speed and in sustainability is, is really tremendous and I'm excited to watch that unfold.
0: Why don't we go on and talk about things like distributed manufacturing and and similar? What occurs to you when you hear the phrase, digital distribution and local manufacturing? As a hint, we use this phrase in our mission statement. Ultimaker's purpose is to help amplify this transformation, to bring digital distribution and local manufacturing into a place where it can really make a difference in manufacturing processes.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, that's what's really exciting to me. And, and what I think of when you talk about that is sustainability. It, it means that you can make what you need and and not more, right? It's limited waste. You make it where you need it. So you don't have to put containers of material on ships and you don't have to drive material back and forth across a border six times to produce a car and you make it when you need it it's just in time production realized It's, it's the epitome of all that and and i think when you put all that together you really need to bring in supply chain professionals into the mix because I think very soon, those are the people that are going to become the 3D printing champions within the companies versus who it is now, which is maybe an R&D person or or a model shop manager. It's really going to change the game and being able to switch the way we think about 3D printing. Let's
0: talk briefly about lean concepts. With 3D printing producing what you need, when you need it, and where you need it, what are some ways that having the ability to do this with specialty materials like those from Arkema, what are some things that you could envision being possible down the line?
1: I think what becomes possible is, is an expansion of what's happening already. So if you have more commodity polymers and, and you have some expertise in 3D printing, you can make a bunch of cool parts, but you're limited in the fact that, okay, if you wanted to build a part and put it on some piece of equipment, maybe it's a jig or a fixture that's going to get dropped and abused, or maybe there's some process fluids in your plants that could be splashing on it, it needs to withstand some impact. There's all these environmental factors that, you know, are going to limit the lifetime of a 3D printed part. So now that you have access to more higher end engineering type polymers, you can choose the right material to withstand that environment, which. I think just perpetuates the value. Mm. You're building it this way because, I don't know, maybe you only need three of them. But if you can make it in a material that's going to last 10 times as long, that's uh, even more justification to move in this direction. So it's opening up the number and the scope of applications that end users are able to produce with having access to a better selection of materials.
0: Tell me more about your thoughts about supply chain.
1: I love the idea of supply chain professionals really becoming
0: the future champions for 3D printing. I think they have some questions about how the process will evolve. But I I have heard people as more disciplines are starting to better understand what you can do with 3D printing and that some of the assumptions about it don't you know, include all of the features of what, what's possible. T- yeah, tell me more about how the supply chain
1: will evolve. Yeah, I think so many times a company does what they do because that's how they do it, right? And this is the issue that so many companies run into and, and you struggle to innovate and, and you try to think of ways to service your customers better or, or give them a better widget but you, you have this mindset that, okay, this is how we produce parts. I have to use this plant because we own it or we've depreciated this piece of equipment already, so we're going to put it on that line. But I think taking a step back and having the mindset of a, a supply chain professional that's looking at, at the whole picture and figuring out how best could this be done, that's really going to be transformative. They obviously need to be trained and they need to understand what the capabilities and what the limitations are of the technology. But I think once you put these people all together, so engineers, researchers, supply chain, manufacturing, and you unleash their creativity, you're going to find more examples of this distributed manufacturing. Okay, we have this plant and we've always produced there, but maybe it makes sense to do a third of these parts on site Mm. where the downstream assembly happens, or maybe we do half of them on the West Coast because our customers are all there. You can optimize, and especially with this technology and particularly with Ultimaker machines, the cost to do that is not nearly as, much as if you're thinking about, okay, I need to build a brand new manufacturing plant with enormous capital expenses. It's really democratizing the whole supply chain and you can optimize it to be more effective for both your own company's value and your customers at the same time.
0: We were talking at the beginning of this episode that one of the origins for including extrudable materials at Arkema was you know customers that use Archima materials in other fabrication methods like injection molding, et cetera. They wanted an extrudable version um, that they, they could use. And I wanted to get some, some guidance for customers who want to learn how they can use FFF to, to validate and, and learn things towards other manufacturing processes, particularly with your materials.
1: Yeah, so good question. I think whether you ultimately want to inject a mold or not, uh, this gives you a really uh, fantastic way to experiment and see what could be done differently with your part. So one of the things that I think a lot about is lattice structures, and, and everybody's talking about lattice structures. You can do you know a billion types of geometries and, and get lots of different cushioning profiles and whatnot. I think maybe this resonates with me because of the history that I have working in polyurethane foam. In foam, we were always trying to adjust the, the unit cell size or the strut thickness to produce a slightly different cushioning effect or stiffness or whatever it was. With FFF printing and with a material like PBACs, you can do all of that and you can make these iterations. You can print a bar that's maybe six inches long by you know an inch wide and an inch high and have a whole bunch of different geometry structures in there. So you can sit there and pass it around your team and squeeze it and say, okay, this is more of what we want or we need it a little bit softer than that. And you can make those iterative changes. Maybe you can figure out how to injection mold something that'll give you close to that or use the full potential of this technology and actually scale up your production using this printing method, because you can create something that couldn't be done otherwise. And I think that just provides fantastic value that when designers, when engineers get their hands on on these types of materials and these types of processes, it, it just blows me away what they're able to come up with. I absolutely love seeing how these creative designer types figure things out and giving them the tools is, is what we're able to do to help. And then they just run with it.
0: You gave an overview at the beginning of this episode for the groupings of materials that you offer for Extrudable. Could you go into some more details about uh, these materials and their material properties?
1: Sure. So uh, a couple of the, the four that I mentioned are available now in Cura for the Ultimaker system. So there's Kynar, which is the PVDF. So remember, this was the, the highly processable fluoropolymer. It's completely uh, non-hygroscopic, so it doesn't take up moisture. You can leave it out in a muggy environment and, and print with it five minutes later and you'll be fine. It's fire retardant. It is chemical resistant. It's completely impervious to UV rays. It's got very high abrasion and wear resistance. Think of like a nylon. So people are using this in in chemical handling environments, in outdoor environments. You can find this Kynar-based, these filaments in Cura in a couple different sources. So you've got a filament called Florex, which is from 3D X-Tech. And they've actually also got a, a second generation Florex coming out. Maybe it'll be done by the time this airs. So that's really exciting. And then there's also a product called florinar RC from Nile Polymers. It's great working with both of those guys. We're really excited about what customers are doing with Kyanar. Then the other material that's in Cura now is, is our PBAX. So remember this is the, the elastomer, the PBAX TPE, which is really well known for its, its unrivaled energy return. It's a very lightweight elastomer. So if you compare it to TPUs, it's a good 20% uh, less weight for the same size part. It's got very consistent properties at low temperatures, so elastomers are great, you use them when you want to have some kind of flex or bending, but when you put a part in a cold environment, it tends to get very brittle and stiff and you don't have the same type of properties that you had at room temperature at high temp. And with PBACs, that's not an issue, you have much better consistent properties across a wide temperature range. It's also got good wear and impact properties. So you'll use this for sports shoe midsoles, for shoe inserts, for flexing parts like living hinges, connectors, springs. And you can see this material in Kira, again, in two two separate spots. So 3DXTAC also has, uh, they call it 3DX Flex TPE. That's made with PBACs. And then also from our partner Kimya in Europe, they have the filament called piba s so then we we also have a, another material that we referenced earlier. It's the Plexiglass or the al-glass 3D. So this is the PMMA acrylic material. Some of your listeners probably have seen it at a couple of the trade shows. We've been showing it off here and there. It will be coming soon to Cura. Uh, I think Kimia will be launching it very soon. But it's a really great material. It, it prints very easily, much like amorphous polymers do It's got this kind of disappearing interior layer line. So we've got a a specific print profile if you want that super high clarity to make the interior lines disappear. And then you can do a little bit of finishing on the outside if you want it to be perfectly uh, clear and transparent. But it would be great for models, uh, for packaging prototypes, for lenses, and for lighting design, which lighting is a a big market for our plexiglass business. So taking this... A step further,
0: you talk about this in terms of how the class of the technology addresses these things. How about from a material perspective, when you're thinking about what kinds of materials to offer, in particular, the you know, specialty and functional materials, how are you thinking through to meeting the needs for FFF customers?
1: Yeah, it's critical to choose the right material for your job. And for a long time, there was really only a few materials available to print with, uh, especially in in FFF. So now that there's more materials available, uh, you really see that there's an explosion in new applications. So aligning the application with the material is even more important now because you don't want to use, say, a a PLA in a really high temp environment, or you don't want to use a polycarbonate in uh, an area where it could get splashed with chemicals. You, You really need to target your strategy and which materials you want to use to develop The parts that ultimately solve your problem and for us to come in and understand some of these challenges and tailor our polymers for this process i think gives a lot of ammunition to the end users out there that are uh, advancing the technology and figuring out how best they can use it
0: are there specific applications that are really drawing attention for one of your resin offerings like for example you mentioned like spare parts and stuff are certain ones really popular right now with end users
1: as, as far as applications go this is where I'm, I'm a little bit hamstrung we we work in in almost all cases under confidentiality agreements I, I hope your your listeners can understand that I, I wouldn't have any customers left if I got on here and told you what everybody was doing but I think the thing that you can think about for example is this floral polymer that's got excellent chemical resistance. Good temperature stability. Where would you expect that to be used? In chemical type environments, it would be outdoor because it's impervious to UV. So, if you're making, say, a housing for some piece of equipment or parts of a valve or a water meter or something, then that might be the right material for you to choose for that application. For PBACs, it's again, it's world renowned in the sports world. So, if you're looking at making, insoles, or if you're looking at making uh, prosthetics or or orthotics, maybe that's the right material for you. But higher end, more functional um, elastomeric material. I can't give too many very specific concrete examples, but I won't say it's obvious, but you can get some clues into where these materials are used based on how they're used in injection molding.
0: I certainly understand that context. As Talking Additive talks more and more to global enterprise related to manufacturing, it's the same deal. (laughs) Yeah, I think our listeners would love to hear some of the brands associated, but we're sort of limited to those that our guests have most recently done public case studies with. (laughs) Is it exciting to Arkema the possibility of having technical polymers available to deploy more endpoints, more equipment to be able to use those materials?
1: Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely exciting because what we're trying to do is is grow the market for these materials and, and see more applications get developed, trying to specify our materials for use. The chemicals industry is insanely capital intensive, so it would be very difficult for us to have this kind of distributed manufacturing network. But for a lot of our customers that are injection molding parts or assembling parts, it really can be transformative for them and and that's what is exciting for us is to be able to be able to share with them new materials, new properties, open up new applications and see the growth and the transformation in, in their businesses with the polymers that we develop to enable that.
0: I'm starting to see messages back from customers along the the lines of like the the digital warehouse sort of concept, et cetera, where they're actually considering listing, parts like digital files and processes as being inventory items, being part of assembly as a way to iron out sourcing and load balance in that way. Yeah. I think that's exciting. It may not sound very sexy, like replacement parts, (laughs) but, but what that means for ironing off liability and worries for being able to solve problems, it seems pretty exciting.
1: It sure is. Yeah.
0: And I have a feeling that in that context, that one of the main reasons this is now exciting to folks is the shift from general purpose materials through to technical and composite materials that permit a lot more function and specific engineering properties that can be achieved. Yeah. So can you think of any specific stories of successes that you or your customers have had along the road to distributed manufacturing.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's lots, but one that's, I think, publicly known that I can share about is the rapid deployment of the 3D printed nasopharyngeal swabs for COVID testing. So I think everybody's at least seen this now. What you see is a lot of companies printing swabs across various printing technologies, partnerships with hospitals and universities that helped to accelerate the the government approvals, leading the way to this distributed manufacturing footprint, which in this case was absolutely imperative to meet the testing demand and help curb the spread of the virus. So it's really a a marvel of technology and of public health. And the printed swabs were proven to perform as good or better than traditional swabs. And it was all made possible by 3D printing, which is is really something we should all be proud of.
0: Thank you very much. And thank you very much for joining me for Talking Additive today. This is really helpful.
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. This was great. It's an honor to be part of Talking Additive. I I want to thank you for what you're doing. And, And if I could just close by thanking your listeners and our customers. Customers for helping to move this industry forward. At Arkema, we're so excited to help enable this industrial revolution with 3D printing. Let us know your problems, what you're trying to solve, challenge us with new requirements. We'd love to work together to create new materials.
0: Thanks again to Steve Serpy from Arkema. We hope that you have enjoyed our 14th episode for the Talking Additive Podcast. To learn more, visit 3D-Arkema.com or locate them on LinkedIn. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. In two weeks, we will return with episode 15 featuring Cody Cochran from Azoth. Azoth is a service bureau with deep roots in traditional manufacturing focused on leveraging additive manufacturing part fulfillment for the manufacturing industry. Recently, they have identified the value of adding high-functioning FFF production to their services and want to share how this business proposition matches a number of customer cases and scenarios for them. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Thanks again to Steve Serpe and the 3D Printing Solutions team at Arkema for joining us for this episode. Our series producer is Hana Takini, studio manager David Roberson, executive producer Nuno Campos, music and episode sound mix by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds, custom music and sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On talking, at if we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.